0: I'm Sarah. Welcome to Ask HDR, a Q&A podcast for higher degree research students. Brought to you by your host, and today we are joined by three PhD students to answer your questions about the PhD journey. Um, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves or our listeners.
1: So, hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm a PhD student who's actually just submitted, and my, my area of research was in the Faculty of Medicine and Health and the School of Pharmacy.
2: Hi, my name is Tin. I am currently in my third year in my PhD degree. My area of study is on robotics and in machine learning.
3: And hey, my name is Juan. I'm a third year student in engineering and computational biology.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Our first submitted question from our other HDR community was, how do you get funding and scholarships? So if you want to kick us off, Jessie.
1: Yeah. So um, there's actually many different ways that you can get funding for scholarships, and it does depend on uh, what part of your PhD journey or your HDR journey um, that you are on. So... Generally, the most traditional way that most people would know are the RTP uh, scholarships. that was also known as the APA scholarships. So they're basically scholarships that are funded by the government and they pay for the stipend uh, for your course of your studies. And they generally last three years and in some circumstances you can get it extended for a few months, six more months. Um, but those scholarships are very competitive and not everyone has the opportunity to get it. Generally, uh, you would need to have done uh, honours and have done very well, or you would have had to show a really strong academic record in the past. So sometimes uh, you may fall short, um, and that's not uh, something to worry because uh, that was exactly what I had Um what I experienced when I went through the journey. Um, So I didn't qualify for the RTP scholarships because of its uh, ultra competitiveness. And so there um, are other ways to get scholarships. So one of those ways is that there are specific projects that you could see online or through the university, which may have an attached grant or a scholarship. And so what that means is that uh, the projects that you get are set in stone because there's something that a researcher already needs to get done and they've received a grant uh, to fund that um, project. So it does mean that you need to be malleable to have a, a, a kind of like a different way of uh, approaching your PhD project because your project would be already set and it's something that you would have to have already been generally interested but you can also uh, follow the guidelines uh, with that grant. Um, and usually you would need to research this before you start on a PhD journey, because um, that would also mean that you, know, you would be applying against other people and your uh, previous academic background may suit that specific uh, project. There's also other grants you can apply through. So the one that I actually ended up getting was so- something very similar. And so these are something like linkage grants. Um, which generally funds scholarships through medical institutes or through companies. So what that means is that you're, you'll be working on a project that might be specific to an R&D goal of a specific company or a research institute, and they are happy to fund your project uh, through your PhD or your HDR um, journey. And so these uh, can be varied. Uh, you can often find them in different places, like even on SEEK and also you can uh, apply through those when you're already in your PhD um, and they're often dependent on how well you're connected uh, with your supervisors and with your external contacts. Um, And also these linkage grants can also sometimes be found on the ARC, which is known as the Australian Research Council. So that's also another way of getting scholarships. And finally, I think, A lot of these scholarships are listed on the Sydney Uni website as well. So that's a great starting place uh, to find scholarships.
0: Thank you, Jessie. That is very relatable for me. I also didn't get an RTP scholarship. I was shortlisted, which meant if someone dropped out, I would get one, but I unfortunately did not. I ended up finding my scholarship on the Sydney University webpage for my faculty. Tin, did you have any similar experiences there?
2: For me, myself, I had studied undergrad in the same uni, so while I was um, thinking of starting my PhD program, I um, had search up, and in the end, what I got is a University University of Sydney postgraduate award, which is sort of an equivalent to the RTP. Other than that, I think um, Jesse had very thoroughly um, explain different ways where you can obtain different scholarships. And one thing that I want to mention is that um, different faculty tends to have their own scholarship for their own students. So if if you are focusing on um, starting your PhD on a specific program, um, it might be beneficial to look up on scholarship in that particular field. And there are scholarships that are being provided by past students who had graduated who um who have very kindly donated um, money and to support different students and yeah so those would mostly be either project based or some some of them allow you to focus your study on any particular area on top of that there are also supplementary scholarship where you can sometimes apply for that to to sort of boost up your on um, the scholarship that you're obtaining if because sometimes the scholarship that you have been granted might not be the full amount in terms of the amount that they can provide you. So sometimes these sort of supplementary scholarship might be also something that you can look into in terms of further supporting your costs.
4: Well, If I can add to this to my personal story with application, which is a not a uh, successful one. Well, in a way, it's not unsuccessful, but rather... A matter of making choice. In my uh, beginning, my supervisor had an industry a collaborator, and they would like to, they were really interested uh, funding a PhD student and providing their facility to kind of to do some field studies. So we kind of like developed the topic based on that, and then we went to them and pitched the idea to them. But then later on, we found that they were not interested in that specific topic, probably due to some pragmatic reasons. And then they were interested in other topics, which I was not interested in. So, in the end, I had to give up that opportunity. But I didn't regret of that. And I guess that for the takeaway uh, message is that for some kind of um, funding from external uh, organizations or companies, sometimes. Uh, The topic or the area is rather limited so you will have to consider other factors such as if that topic is raising your research interest or is a good fit to your background so Mm -hmm. that's something others uh, could consider
3: well in, in my case the way i got my scholarship was that um well i first i was already working on a project for my um my master's before my phd started and actually my supervisor suggested me to apply to one of the second kind of scholarships that Jesse mentioned. So it was, uh, this was a scholarship that was being offered by one of the centers that are associated with uh, one of the faculties in the school, Uh, but it was a project that was already set in stone, right? So um, in a way I had to adapt what I really wanted to do and my research interests to what they were requiring. Um, I was lucky enough that I had the support of my supervisor and then I could find like a way of framing my strengths and interests in a way that were like um, aligned with what the center was looking for. Uh, And in the end, it was a relatively smooth process. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I think what we've really learned from this question, how do you get funding and scholarships There are a lot of pathways to go down. You should be looking at this quite independently. Your project supervisor might have some ideas, but it's really good if you take control of this part of your journey. Looking at Indeed, SEEK, the University of Sydney website, and asking other HDR students how they got their funding is a great place to start. And as you can see, we've all had different journeys here of how we got funding for our PhDs and I highly recommend just exploring all your options as early as possible.
4: So if if I can ask the uh, next question submitted from our audiences, that is, uh, what can I expect when I start my PhD? So I would like to ask our guest, uh, what's your experience uh, when you started out and any advice you you could give to uh, students who is uh, starting out?
2: Yep that's a great question. I remember that at my very first day I have arrived to my office quite early on because I was quite nervous because I'm not sure how it's gonna be like and all that Um, but once I get to get to know some of the people at my office all of them are extremely nice and have eased my adjustment to begin my research life. On my very first day my supervisor and a few of my colleagues have also sort of chat with me and then went out for coffee and lunch afterwards, which sort of made me um, feel more comfortable around the environment. Um, At the very beginning, um, I have been told to do a, in terms of the research thingy, I have been told to do a more thorough, a very thorough literature review and to understand what's happening within the field. So to find your way into the start of your PhD studies, I think it's very important to identify gaps within the literature in terms of what are missing and um, what haven't been done before. And on top of that, you should propose what you want to contribute to your field. And I think that um, a discussion and a meeting with your supervisor will be a very essential thing because uh, for example, for my supervisor, he. He is sort of um, one of the expert in my field and sometimes I might think that I had identified some sort of gaps within the literature, but then um, my supervisor would be able to point out whether that is true or not. Um, so I reckon a good start for your PhD studies would be for you to um, identify what you want to work on and start writing a proposal of. Um, what you want to focus your study on?
4: That no, was that was really relatable. Actually, I think I have a similar kind of uh, experience with that, but I do have a more like difficult time of like finding the research topic, because as the as the beginning of my research, I was exposed to all those different concepts and terms and different potential directions, and that that was really kind of overwhelming for me. And my advice for that would be like, to make communications with your, with your supervisors, just as uh, Ting has suggested. And also to um, also discuss it with your peers in the same research group or even from outside of your faculty. Sometimes uh, people from other disciplines can give us better insight of what we should focus on.
3: In my in my case the the like the first phase of, or maybe even the first year of my phd was a really enjoyable phase and it's um it's a period that a lot of people know as the honeymoon phase i don't know if you guys also know it like that but it's nice because you don't really feel the pressure of uh, that you feel later on right when you're closer to wrapping up things um, you uh, you start getting familiarized with uh, the field and uh, you actually enjoy. And it's like a discovery phase, right? Where you start to adapt, but you also get to enjoy to, I don't know, uh, go to seminars and uh, learn things. I guess that if we're doing a PhD, we all somehow enjoy learning. So this is a, a phase where you're going to be learning a lot, maybe like probably 60% of the things that you're going to, be learning about are not going to be useful later on but you don't know that at the point so you just enjoy learning uh get to know more people in the field get to understand many many things uh, explore and that's something that i enjoyed a lot uh, of course that you don't really want to stay in that phase for too long you want to move on and start doing practical things and finding out uh what's actually going to move your project forward uh, but that's really hard to tell. So if I have to provide an advice for anybody who's about to start a PhD or are already in that phase, like um, sometimes, like just get the best out of it, but then try to find a direction soon enough so you don't end up just regretting staying in that phase uh, for too long later in uh, at later stages.
1: Yeah. So. Well, what Juan said was really relatable. Um, I re- actually now reflecting back, uh, my first year was really unproductive, um, in the sense that I didn't get any research output done. So, as a PhD uh, or an HDR in STEM, generally a lot of your uh, a lot of your thesis will generally come down to your research output. So, what kind of findings you have, and I record now, uh, after having just finished my thesis, that nothing I did in my first year actually went into my thesis. And um, if you think about it like that, it sounds like it's completely unproductive. But I think I can say right now that I don't feel bad about that at all, because the first year of your PhD, I find, is that time when you need to be able to adjust and learn and the techniques that I learned in research skills, in actual laboratory work, in a lot of different things uh, that involve, that is later involved in, as part of your thesis um, was uh, really, really pivotal uh, for me to actually complete my thesis. So I think the primary thing is that you shouldn't be stressed that you felt like you wasted your first year of your PhD, because I think that's generally going to be true for almost everyone. Um, and generally, the whole idea of that first year, or especially when you start, um, is that you want to try and be a sponge. You want to absorb as much information, as much skills as you can, because it will uh, lead you down to success later on uh, in your research. Um, the other thing as well is uh, I also found that using the support, um, so generally most uh, groups, most research groups would have maybe another research staff, uh, another couple of PhD students or honours students, maybe even a postdoc um, or a research assistant. So um, it's very often that your supervisor is going to be very busy and away and uncontactable, um, but that doesn't mean that you can't absorb information from your research staff. And I would have to say that uh, I would have gained just as much uh, information from my postdocs and my fellow more, more uh, elder PhD students uh, back then than uh, compared to my supervisor because um a lot of the information that they provided was very helpful and also because they were generally more available because you're generally working with them. So definitely if you have the opportunity, uh, try and use uh, that, uh, that advantage, that support uh, staff and make sure you thank them uh, as much as you can. That
4: was a really good point that we shouldn't be stressed out of too much about the research progress, but rather than like building up the knowledge and the skills of the research for the future research.
0: I think that is exactly what you should expect when you start is it won't be immediate, it will be a learning phase. And yeah, our guests have summed that up so well. So our next submitted question for this topic was how do you plan each step of the PhD? So I would really like our guests to think about what you know now and how you would change that. So if you could go back, how would you structure your PhD and what would you avoid?
3: Right. I guess that um, in this case, I would, I have to say that one of the things I wish I knew from the beginning is, I wish I knew that it was okay to fail in a way, you know, because like at the beginning I was so afraid of making mistakes and uh, just taking the wrong direction, uh, which in the end uh, it it happened anyways. Um, because like as PhD students, we are at the front of science, right? At the front of the field, we are trying to make groundbreaking discoveries. A lot of in a lot of cases and do things that have never been done before. So if you fail, I mean, you're probably going to fail in many, many things that you're going to be doing. And I don't mean failing at the level of just failing to attain your degree or like a massive crash or anything. But even in small details, even uh, you might have thought that um, a specific resource was going to be useful and you ended up spending a bit of time learning about it. It doesn't matter if it wasn't the right one, you're still learning, you're still um, gathering all the knowledge that you need and maybe that will come back and be helpful at a later stage. So don't be afraid, just go ahead, uh, gather confidence as well while you're doing that in the process. Uh, And I'm pretty sure that most supervisors will understand if you made a mistake and uh, because you will be able to learn Maybe even you'll learn together with your supervisor about why that didn't work or why that approach wasn't the ideal. What sort of questions uh, it it did answer and what sort of angles it
1: didn't uh, address. I think that was actually a great example with what I was going to say. Uh, so uh, with one, um, he had to change, um, and I felt like when I was uh, planning in the beginning of my PhD. Um, That plan that I had is completely different to how it ended up. Um, So I think, yes, you should plan. You should always plan. Um, And I think as well, I remember when I planned, um, I planned with my supervisor because um, that meant that we had good open communication with what was our expectations. However, we also planned uh, to make sure that things could change and that uh, would happen all the time. And that did happen because... Um, in the end, uh, your research uh, output would then direct how your research actually is going to go. So, for example, when I worked on 3D printing, I was so focused on trying to make a 3D printed stent and try to determine which material will come out nice. And then it, we just found out that it couldn't work that way. So uh, we pivoted um, and uh, that was exactly uh end up what's what happened and when you plan for that and you set really concrete uh non-changeable plans you're gonna uh struggle um so what I think you need to do is you also need to in the back of your mind be able to understand that that plan that you have will be constantly revised as uh you're going through your PhD and you should always be able to plan for change um and plan for maybe something else will uh, be in there instead of what you were going to do. So I think that's uh, how I would uh, plan each step of my PhD.
2: If I may add on top of what has already been said, I think um, the thesis title that I have initially proposed has nothing to do with what I en- actually end up doing. Um, so I think uh, my PhD is a very explorative phrase at the very beginning where we explore different options for us to, to tackle the issue that the community are facing. And as a lot of um, our guests had already spoke of their experience, um, we might end up using a different method or a different ways to approach those sort of issues. F- for my case, I think um, the issue that I'm tackling, I have actually shift my focus on a different thing. Uh, because I end up finding that um, I'm more interested in focusing my attention on that rather than what I initially proposed. And I think um, that would be a lot of the journey that a lot of PhD students face because um, when we begin our PhD journey, we are all a beginner on on this massive field that we are um, being thrown into. And it's only when we get to learn more about the field, when we get to explore more different methodology within the field that we can get to know what's the best way to approach these sort of issues. And yeah, so I think, um, first of all, a plan would be very essential because um, it allows us to motivate us in terms of um, different set of deadlines or progress review or things like that, that we should have um, complete by, by X amount of time. Um, but then also do not do not be afraid of um, be diverting from your original plan because um, your original plan might not be the perfect plan, right?
0: No, I think it's been summed up really well here at the moment. Um, Juan, did you have anything you wanted to add there?
3: No, I was just going to say that especially with COVID, right? I mean, I, I'm pretty sure we all had to drift away from what we had planned initially, and then we just had to adapt. And yeah, I guess that problem solving and uh, just adapting to the circumstances is one of the, the strongest uh, things in our skill set that we need to develop. And um, one of the things that I wanted to say, and that I actually, the thing that I actually forget what it was, is that um, planning goes a long way, actually. Uh, it's very important for you to actually give yourself some time to sit and think what you're going to do before jumping into action. I don't know if this is the the case for everybody, but I was used before starting my PhD to just um, thinking that producing results immediately was the most important thing to do. But actually in a PhD, if you sit back and think about your next actions and have a clear plan of what you're going to do, that can save you a lot of time. So that's something I wish I knew earlier in my degree as well.
1: Um, I'd actually just like to add as well, um, I think that's a really good point. Um, Sometimes there are experiments that you don't really need to do. So if you actually plan and uh, make sure you understand what you're doing, um, you might actually come to the conclusion, well, I actually don't need this. Um, and obviously, you wouldn't uh, just do it on your own accord. You'd also have your supervisor kind of back you up. And if your supervisor thinks you have to do it, then maybe just do it and not cause conflict. But um, if you think that whatever you're going to do is going to be completely uh, you know, needless um, and it's just going to waste your time, that's actually one of the benefits of planning, um, making sure that, you don't actually waste your time once you realize that something has not gone as expected.
4: On the matter of wasting time, I think like um, to be able to set up a standard for each kind of step for our research is kind of important because sometimes for each step of our research, we could do it forever. We could always refine it and it's essential that we know that up to a certain standard and point, we need to move forward to the next stage.
0: I think we've um, really gleaned from that last question, how to plan each step of the PhD. You've just got to plan to be flexible. It starts as initial phases. When you first start, you always have your proposal, which involves some steps. But as you delve into your subject and become the expert in your field, which is the purpose of a PhD, things are going to change, you're going to need to adapt. And it might take you down a path you don't expect. But if you go into it accepting that things will change, you're going to enjoy it a whole lot more than if you think you're veering off track. Um, so I'd just like to thank our guests now. And if they have any final pieces of advice, feel free to say them now.
1: Uh, don't stress too much. Enjoy the journey.
2: Yeah, have flexibility on, on what you want to work on and, um, and your plan.
1: Do
3: your best to have a healthy relationship with your supervisor, but don't depend too much on them because you don't know, like you might have uh, different interests and uh, it's your project basically. So uh, when the time comes, just don't be afraid to take on the driving seat and yeah, push ahead.
4: Yeah. Just try to relax and enjoy the best four years of your life.
0: So this has been episode one of Ask HDR, what I wish I knew when I started my PhD. Thank you, Tin, Juan and Jesse, and of course my co-host Kun for joining us today.